Hi, I'm Martin Hopney, and welcome to the Golf Lot Tour Trot Podcast. And this week, we're focusing on the Mizuno JPX 919 range, and I'm delighted to be joined by Mizuno Golf Brand Manager Chris Voschel, who has had a direct hand in designing these clubs. So, welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. You're good. Um, so, tell us, what was the main aim behind the JPX 919 irons? You know, the 900 series that we launched a couple of years ago did a lot of things for Mizuno, where it... I guess it really changed the focus of Mizuno from being viewed as just a player's company to being viewed as a company that makes clubs for everybody. So we did a lot of good things right with the 900 line. So with the 919 line, it was how can we make all those things better? You know, the hot metal was a golf club that reached a whole nother level of people that we typically don't speak to. And that was a real one of how do we improve on a club that was already great. And then what the 919 tour did in terms of you know, winning two us opens, getting in the hands of tons of young aggressive players out on tour, we really had our hands full trying to, you know, better those products. I mean, you mentioned the hot metal there. I, I understand that's probably the best selling individual model uh, in Missouri's history. So how have you been able to improve on that? Because I've had a go with them. It did seem a, a little bit faster, but generally it was quite similar in a lot of respects, though, as well. Yeah, so we did a lot of things right with the previous hot metal. We introduced the new chromoly material, which is really a special material because it allows you to get a super high COR, really fast ball speeds, but at the same time have a golf club that's custom fittable and bendable to your specs. So we wanted to make sure we kept going with that, but we saw a few things that we could potentially improve with the new hot metal. We wanted it to launch a little bit higher. We wanted it to be a little bit more forgiving and see if we could eke a little bit more ball speed out of it. Now that we got a little more experience with the chromoly material so with this one we did expand the cor area so you get faster ball speeds across more of the face we increased the initial cor so the actual ball speed coming off is quicker everywhere and then we increased the moment of inertia so that it's going to be more forgiving regardless of where you hit it we did a lot of this by using a couple different things we used what we call our seamless cup face design which is able which gives us the geometry of a cup face so you get high ball speeds on the toe heel up and down but it's all in a one-piece design we did that while still pulling the center of gravity back and deeper to lower the sweet spot to make sure it launches high and just give a golf club that's playable for almost any level of golfer I think the thing I've seen throughout all the irons is you've you've changed the the back of the iron where you've taken some weight out of the heel area there. Um, is that the same right. for three models, or is it is it just one in particular? No, that's something that we really just took a step back to look at iron design in general in terms of where weight is best used and where is it worst used. And just because I mean it's a simple thing to say, but you know people don't really think about it. But just the weight of the hosel itself is naturally you know, a lot of heel weight and a lot of weight on that far side of the golf club. So rather than focus more weight in the heel on the back of the club, what we wanted to do is see how much weight we could strip out while maintaining durability there to see if we can't reallocate that weight to a better location. So what we did is, you can see it on the hot metal, the forge, and the tour, the, the actual cavity itself extends way, way into the heel to remove that excess weight and move it out towards the toe. What that toe weight's going to do, it's going to increase the overall moment of inertia, but also because the toe is the thickest part of the golf club, it's going to help bring the center of gravity back to help the clubs launch easier. Does it also move the center of gravity across the face a little bit more than in the past as well? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. One of the big things on golf club design in general is, you know, it's almost 
somewhat of a known for better players is that the sweet spot typically lives closer to the heel in terms of where it is on the face. But by focusing so much mass, by pulling it out of the heel and putting it out onto the toe, we were actually able to move the sweet spot almost exactly to the center of the face, which is something that, you know, it seems like you would assume a golf club has, but for the most part, golf clubs do not have that. And ours with the new stability frame really pulls that sweet spot right towards the center. Are you able to say how much in millimeters have you been able to move it across, or does it vary? You know, it varies between models. On the Tour, we were able to move it about 1.2 millimeters. On the Forged, about 1.8 millimeters. On the Hot Metal, it was close to 2 millimeters, which, again, those sound like small numbers, but those are drastic movements when you're talking about you know, moving a center of gravity on a golf head that's only, call it, 70 millimeters to begin with. And then you've got the JPX 919 Forged, uh, which, mm -hmm. um, again, which I think is a very good iron indeed. One of the things that I struck compared to the 900 was that the leading edge doesn't have as much of a grind on it as does a trailing edge either. What was the decision behind that? It's a good observation there because you're right. The nine, the 900 Forged as well as the 850 Forged, they all had what we call our triple cut sole on the bottom. The reason this one doesn't is because it actually has a new technology built into it where on the previous iterations we would, we would mill out weight from the cavity side. On this one, we actually went in from the sole side and we took what we call an end mill cutter and went in from the sole to thin out the face. What that's going to do is that's going to save you weight. It's going to increase the moment of inertia. It's going to increase the COR. It's also going to bring the center of gravity back. But as a result of that, what we had to do was then go back and actually fill in that, that cut through the sole. So there's actually a small lid that covers up that cut so it's not visible from the bottom of the club. So the reason that we don't have the grind on it is because that lid exists there. But ultimately, you want to have the same playability. You want the club to enter and exit the turf the same way. So what we did is we actually increased the amount of camber on the sole. So it's actually a little bit more rounded from front to back. And that's going to give you a similar level of playability as taking a flatter sole and grinding it out. Um, so just a couple of things on that. When you say a lid, I presume this isn't something that's welded on. This is just part of the forging design, is it? No, it is, it is welded on. It's a very precise welding. I believe the actual lid itself is 5 millimeters by 52 millimeters, so essentially the width of the score line. And it's about 1 millimeter thick, and it's welded over and then just basically polished off. And what that does is it gives you a clean, clean look at a dress or a clean look from behind. But at the same time, you have that cut that now extends all the way to within one millimeter of the sole. That means when you hit the ball low on the face, when you hit the ball out on the toe, you're going to get a huge rebound area out of it. So it's, just, it's almost like a cavity or even a slot then behind the face here. Is that you know. It, it it is you know slots are a term that Mizuno doesn't use a ton just because yeah. they're out there a bunch but it's our execution of a slot you know rather than put a big old piece of plastic in it and you know point it out and say hey look at all this weight taken away we want to do it in a more sophisticated way where we took that weight out and essentially there is a slot it's a cavity behind the face but we wanted to make it a lot cleaner and a lot more a lot more Mizuno. And is that in the hot metal version as well, or is it just in the, the forged? So that's just in the forged, because we were starting with a one-piece forging where we went in and did what we call the back-milled face. On the hot metal, because it is a chromoly construction, we were able to, when we were creating the mold for that, 
we're able to do utilize what we call a slide core mold. And what that is, is it's a very complex mold where when you're injecting the chromoly material into the wax, there's these sliding pieces that you pull out, almost like a little jigsaw puzzle. And what that does, it allows you to get extreme geometry and extreme constructions and undercuts throughout the throughout the club all in one piece without having to go back and mill it. So you actually have a very similar, you know, sole thickness right at the leading edge all the way 360 degrees around the face. So essentially it is like a cup face design, but we did that all in one piece seamless construction. So, I mean, just going back to the forge. So is the, the rest of it forged or is it just the, the face that's forged on it? No, no. So that's the thing that bothers us a lot in the industry is that forging is being thrown around all over the place. You'll see forgings where just the face is forged and the back is not. You'll see forgings where the back is forged and the face is not. Ours is completely forged club. So we start with the same drop, similar material. It's a 1025 boron material. So similar that we've used on some of the MP clubs. We use that on our wedges. It is a one-piece drop. So everything you're holding right there, it is just a one-piece drop of forging. So then we go back and mill it, and the only thing that's not forged on it is that one little cap that represents about 0.05% of the overall mass of the club. So when you're forging it, is there actually a gap that you're putting this cap over? So we, when we forge it, there is no gap there. When we forge it, it's a thick, you know, very full essentially a muscle back you know there's muscle behind it but that's why we have to go back with the milling because with forging you know the tool has to enter and exit the the golf club cleanly so you have to enter the cavity and exit so you have draft angle requirements and it's tough it's I, i say tough it's impossible to forge an undercut so what we have to do is create that undercut using post processing and that's where that end mill cut comes into play so it allows us to get you know, similar geometry and similar performance that you would in a, in a cast golf club, but still have the feel and performance of a forging. Okay, so it's the milling that's going in there and creating the cut, and then that goes, does that go through the sole and then you put the cap on top of it? It goes through the sole and out the cavity. So it literally, it's it keeps consistent face thickness all the way from the cavity all the way down to that where we put that cap back on. It's about one millimeter from the sole. All right. Well, that, that's really interesting. I mean, that's I can understand now why that's uh, you know gets a lot of ball speed off that face. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That and that's just it. Typically, with a forging, you're going to have to live somewhere in the 3.5 to 4 millimeter face thickness. By going in and using our boron material, which is a little bit stronger for the forging, and then putting that cut in there, we can get down to sub 3 millimeters. So you can get CORs that are above 0.80, closer to 0.81, to really get a lot of ball speed and distance. Just to go back to the grinding point, obviously with the the trailing edge grind you had before, it probably went into the turf a little bit more easily. But maybe this sort of, mm-hmm. but if it's softer, then the new version, I guess, would be a little bit better because it's going to have a maybe a sort of sharper edge to it. Yeah. So what what we tried to do is we put a, little, a lot more camber. So the camber being basically the measurement from the bounce to the low point, and by putting that more camber, it's actually more like a blade. Uh, blade geometry on the sole. So from front to back with that added camber, it should enter and exit the turf a lot quicker than it would if it was an otherwise flat, otherwise flat sole, if that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, certainly I've, I've been out testing them and it, on the grass, I did notice that it was going through the, the ground a, a little differently, uh, which uh, yeah. I think, I mean, right now um, we know the ground's very firm and very hard. So actually um, you could definitely notice the difference between the two models. So it's good to Absolutely. hear why, why that was. Yeah, we're always trying to do what to do, get the club to enter and exit the turf quickly is, I guess, the best way to describe it. We never want it to drag. 
And before, when we had that wider sole, we put that leading edge grind and that trailing edge grind so that essentially there was less mass down there to cause friction. But by adding more camber, we were able to get a similar effect with a sole that doesn't have those leading edge and trailing edge grinds. Okay, and then finally moving on to the last one we haven't talked about so far, which is the Tour version. I know uh, there's lots of players that are contracted to using this, and you probably can't mention them, but uh, I'm going to say there's the guy who won the last two USA <laughs> using them, uh, which is uh, Kepke, of course. And that, right. What have you done with this? Because certainly the, the sole looks a little bit wider in places, but it's noticeable the top line's a little bit thinner. So this is just a redistribution, or is this a visual thing? No, that's actually, that's 100% accurate. You know, Launching this golf club, the original 900 Tour to the market was something we were excited about, but we didn't know how much traction it would get, and we didn't know who was going to go to it. But then we had so many of the Nike guys come right to it just because they were free to play whatever they want. And with that, we were able to get tons of feedback in terms of how we can improve not only the visual but also the performance benefits of it. So it did a lot of great things, but the few things that we kept hearing over and over again were that the 900 Tour – the top line looked a little bit fatter. A lot of that's because the Nike guys were getting their own clubs made, and where essentially if you're, if you're a better player and you're getting a club made for you, the first thing you say is, hey, take that top line down. <laughs> so we did a lot of that as we took that top line down about half a millimeter, so it's about 20% thinner than it was before. So that's a big step down in terms of thinness, and we re- redistribute a lot of that weight down low. What that low mass is going to do is, again, it's going to help lower that sweet spot, so it's going to give you a more penetrating ball flight. 900 Tour and the 919 Tour compared to the MP. We're going for a little bit more of aggressive player, typically a little bit higher swing speed guy as well. And what we're trying to do is bring that sweet spot down to get a little bit more low spin, penetrating ball flight for players like Brooks Kepka who really go at it. And that's exactly what we did with this one. So why would somebody like him go for this JPX uh, tool model rather than something like the MP18? Because, I mean, the, the top lines are going to look kind of similar in a way, aren't they? Yeah, that's the whole thing is that you're right. The top line looks very similar. What you're going to get out of this club that you're not going to get out of an MP is you're going to get a little bit lower spin, so a little bit more penetrating ball flight. And you're also going to get a bit more forgiveness. If you hit one a little bit towards the toe or towards the heel on this one, it should maintain ball speed and maintain launch a little bit better than the MP should. And is that because of the way the muscle shaped on the back or is that because it's a bigger head or is it something to do with material? You know, it's somewhat a combination of, of both. Compared to the blade, the head is a bit bigger. It's a little bit longer from heel to toe, but it's by no means a large golf club. But the biggest thing is the shaping of the cavity and the stability frame. That's going to give you a redistributed weight. That's going to give you a higher moment of inertia with more mass out on the toe. And do they notice a difference in feel between the Tour and the MPs? Because I think some of your loyalists might say that the MPs might feel a little better. But uh... you know, That was one of the other changes we made on this one was one of the other bits of feedback we got on the original 900 Tour was that it felt a bit firmer than the previous. So with this one, we tweaked the actual, what we call our harmonic impact technology. We tweaked the vibrations of this golf club to vibrate a little bit more like a muscle back. And on top of that, we brought in our grain flow forging HD process. HD standing for high density, where we focus a little bit more of the grains lower in the lower in the head, more in the impact area. So those two things should make this feel even softer. Well, that's an interesting point, actually. I mean, I've often wondered: is feel sound or is feel vibrations that you feel? You know, 
they're they're pretty much the same thing. It's vibrations, but it's vibrations. It's really audible vibrations. So it's vibrations that you're hearing. So what we do when we're developing a club is we're able to simulate all the different modes in the audible range, you know, anywhere from 2,000 hertz up to 12,000 hertz and really trying to pick out which ranges are going to feel the best for you. So the fourth mode of vibration is the one we always focus on. And that's really what where it, a blade is differentiated from a cavity back. Typically, a fourth mode of a blade is going to live in the higher range. So with this one, we wanted to get it in the higher range. We wanted to get it closer to a blade feel. And that's something that we're able to do through the engineering of the golf club and also through the processes that we use. And just one final thing, the cosmetic point of view, you've gone, taken a lot of the color off it. You even taken the word Mizuno off it. Can you tell us the reason behind that? <laughs> you're the first one actually to point out that you're right. It doesn't even say Mizuno on it. That is one of the things we wanted to do with this line is we wanted to make it more. It's funny. I'm going to say we wanted to make it more Mizuno, even though it doesn't say Mizuno on it. We wanted to make it as clean as possible. So with the previous 900 line, there was a little bit of cosmetic. You know, there's some coloring on it. There was some, you know, some white paint, some blue paint, some stuff like that. We wanted this golf club to look so Mizuno, look so clean, look so pure that even though it's a JPX, it could be played by any level of golfer. It could be played down by the lowest handicappers. The reason Mizuno came off it is a little bit of we want to get our Runbird logo out there more. We want it to be well known. We want, of course, you know, everyone wants to have their own version of the swoosh. We want we want to have something that people recognize. And by putting such a cool looking golf club and just having the Runbird on it, we thought it just made it that much cleaner and something that people are going to want to look at and get intrigued by. And certainly when I've been going between the models, it's, it's, you have to look quite closely to see which one you're hitting. Are you, have you done that consciously so that is there an option for blending between these or are they really standalone sets? So they're designed to be blended. That was another thing we did is between the tour, the forge, and the hot metal, each one is two degrees apart. The reason is that if you want to blend a tour with a forge, you can meet in the middle. If you want to blend a forge and a hot metal, you can meet in the middle as well. So they are designed to be blended to make a combo set. You know, If you need a more forgiving, hotter long iron and a more controllable, workable short iron, you can put those together. And ultimately, everybody wants a good-looking club in their bag. No one wants a big old chunk of plastic back there, you know, all these bright colors and stuff like that. What Mizuno has always been known for is the beauty and the feel of our irons. So we wanted to bring that even up to the highest handicap. Just because you're a high handicap, if you're playing a Mizuno, you want to look like you're playing a Mizuno. And does that blending extend to the losses? Do they are, are they compatible, you know, five irons and six irons sort of from different Yeah, ab- absolutely. So between the two, so if, if I'm speaking for six irons in, in general, the six iron of the tour sits at 30 degrees, the six iron of the forge sits at 28 degrees, the six irons of... Six iron of the hot metal sits at 26 degrees. So if you want to blend them, what you'd do is you'd actually split the difference. So you'd actually you know, put it at 27 degrees between a tour and a forged, and you'd put it at 25 degrees Oh, sorry, 20, 27 degrees between a hot metal and a forged and 29 degrees between a forged and a tour. So it allows you to really blend them all to create basically whatever lofts and whatever specs are going to dial, dial in for you. So when you talk about that, you're talking about your custom fitting process where you would adjust the loft in order to make it fit the blend. That's exactly right. And our custom, our custom fitting software, our PFS software, is going to guide you right through that process to make sure you're not going to have big gapping issues. And that wouldn't affect the bounce in any way too much if you're bending clubs? 
whenever you whenever you adjust the balance or adjust the loft, it's going to change the balance essentially by the same number of degrees you adjust the loft. So the big thing with these is because you're only moving one degree and each one has an ample amount of camber, the sole bounce should not should not be affected too greatly. All right, well that's great. Well, thank you very much indeed for taking us to the range. That was very informative. It was great to talk to you again. Absolutely, I'm happy to do it anytime. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have, uh, please subscribe to us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And for more reviews on the full range of Mizuna products, including the GPX 919, just head along to the golfalot.com website.